Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm best-selling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the Paleo View, everyone. Episode 391. We are turning your world upside down today. <laughs> Stacy leading a show on science. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I mean, I am I'm just planning on hanging out here and uh, throwing in a couple of wisecracks once in a while. And, uh, you know, just just uh, just being the voice of levity. That's my plan. I will tell you, after having the responsibility of preparing show notes, that is the better side to be on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so are we saying we appreciate the effort that goes into show notes every week? Is that, that what we're saying? is probably an understatement. Mm-hmm. Yes. I really enjoy being levity and like the bringing it back to basics and let me just chime in with something fun person, (laughs) the responsibility of like pulling together an outline with like, let me be clear, this show is research based. Every single show we do has pages and pages of notes. And I show up with the notes there. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Let me just ask some (laughs) questions about this. (laughs) And this week, role reversal this week, this week, I was the one pulling the show notes together. It's a different world. As I I have, mentioned I have before, say, a whole new world. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, this is out of my comfort zone. Uh, as I was sort of telling you before we started recording, um, I'm like, oh, I feel a lot of pressure in the sense of like not necessarily, you know, knowing 100% where this episode is going and and, and needing to be the person to like, I, I think what uh, I would say that. When I get deep into science, the thing that you do that is so fantastic for this podcast is like throw like a grappling hook onto where I'm at and like pull me back down to earth and be like, uh, English, please. And and, uh, and now that I have to play that role, I'm like, oh, I've... I, uh, I'm hoping, I hope I'm up to it. I hope I'm up to it. I, I'm, I'm just, again, uh, planning wisecracks and, and levity in all things. We'll, we'll see how this goes. Well, to be fair, this is not a super challenging science-based topic. Friends, we're talking skincare basics, um, what we're calling non-toxic skincare FAQs. These are the questions that I get from you all over and over and over again. And I love answering them. This is my passion. This is my full-time job. And I was telling Sarah, I'm like, I just, we realized we've never actually done one of like these basic shows. Like we've done individual topics um, on aging or on skincare or different kinds of things. But like most of us just need to understand basic skincare. (laughs) Like what is a regular routine of a skincare and why do I need it? Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about that, today. That you just took my number one question. <laughs> it is everybody's <laughs> number one question. It's like, wait, how many steps do I need to have and why? <laughs> what? All right. Uh, so I, I think we should just jump in. 
Cool. I'm ready. Um, so first and foremost, I want to remind everyone that we are a science-based show. So everything that we're going to talk about, I have provided links and references in the show notes, and you're welcome to go check them out. I also have a ton of blog posts that dive more in depth into almost every single one of these topics that we will also link in the show notes. Um, one of the very first questions that I get is on natural. Is it natural? And while natural can be incredibly beneficial for most things, just like everything else in this podcast, where we also value modern medicine alongside holistic practices and lifestyle changes, the same can be said for products. There are some things that are synthetic, i.e. non-natural, that can be safe. And there are some things that can be natural that are not safe, and vice versa. So it's important as we're looking at personal care products in general, we've talked a lot about greenwashing and people can put whatever they want on a label. It doesn't have to be defined by anything the way that food labels have definition because there is no laws. There are no laws in this country that really govern that. So there hasn't been a law updated in the United States since 1938. We talked about there are two bills in the House right now. But until those go through defining what natural means, um, someone can put it on a label. So let's talk about if you are seeking better non-toxic, cleaner, safer, greener, whatever you want to refer to in your personal care products, the term I like to use is safe. Because like I said, something can say natural and it can contain asbestos because asbestos is a naturally occurring um, chemical that is often a tag along to other like rocks and minerals found in the ground. Um, Poison ivy, snake bites, those are all natural but we don't want them in our skincare. Um, They're not safe. So what I like to think about is, is something tested? Is it safe? I've shared my story about how I used a face cream years and years ago that I thought was fermented fish oil and it was great for my face. And then it went through testing and turns out it was rancid, oxidized, (laughs) like plant oils. Um, And so had that product been tested... (laughs) someone would have known that it wasn't what it said it was. And so I personally try to focus on products that come with a certification. So we know that I am using and loving Beauty Counter, but there are other brands out there that get certifications of ingredients that they use. I'm not familiar with all brands. I know off the top of my head, Primally Pure gets certification from their ingredients that they um, are asbestos-free, for example. So um Making sure that you're using brands that prioritize safety and not just greenwash you. Um, The other thing you can do is look up what you're using on EWG because they prioritize safety over natural, synthetic, those kinds of terms. They um, use one of my favorite resources, PubChem, to look at the toxicity and the safety of individual um, chemicals that comprise ingredients to determine a scale of like A, B, C, D, F on what a product is as far as safety. And so there's a scale. I will admit there are some things that I use that are not A, and I'm okay with that because the preponderance of what I'm using is, and I just haven't found, for example, a um, dry shampoo that I love. Um, I try and sometimes I'm like, nope, 
I'm traveling, I want to look fancy and blah, blah, blah. So we can all make those choices for ourselves. But I think EWG is a great place to get educated. Um, Sarah, are you familiar with PubChem? Is it a place that you go? I know you go to PubMed. Yeah. Well, so they're both run by the National Library. Wait, National Library. National Library that has two more <laughs> letters in the acronym. Um, but yeah, they're basically run by the same organization. So they use the same, um, it's like the same driver for searches and um, accessing the information. And while I, I do spend most of my time in PubMed or PubMed Central, um, I there are certain times where just like understanding the chemical properties of something is like relevant to what I'm researching. So in that case, I end up in PubChem. So um, yeah, I I uh, rely. <laughs> can, can I like that? That's what I spend half of my time doing. Is is honestly just um, what I affectionately refer to as falling down the rabbit hole of PubMed. Um, but in the sense of really just the, the National Library of, of uh, research information and scientific journals and, and using their, um, it's like basically, really, it's like a very fancy indexing and, and search engine that helps you find the information in this really technical database. And I mean, I, you can't find things the same way when you're doing research in and looking for, you know, scientific articles, you can't find them with like Google Scholar. It's not, it's just not the same sophistication in terms of indexing. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's linked to my favorite place online. I think that consumers who want to be educated could really enjoy that site. I think it's pretty easy to navigate. Like if you're looking for a particular ingredient or chemical that you mm -hmm. see on a label, you can just type it in and it will bring up information that's relatively easy to understand in terms of the tests that they've done, what they know about toxicity, mm -hmm. and um, they do variation as well. And like, if it's applied this way versus this way and um, stuff like that, if they have the information, you can find it all there. So when I can't find something on EWG, which is often the case, that's the next place that I go to read about um, what is known about a chemical pub chem, or as you might refer to it, an ingredient or whatever. So um, just wanted to put that out there because I think as we talk about what I refer to as like non-toxic skincare or safe skincare, um, the most common terms are like green or natural. And that concerns me a little bit. So <laughs> just want to put it out there. Uh, I think, um, you know, what's really interesting to me is because it's not regulated, there is this like market driven psychology aspect to those terms where like, people start to become really skeptical of the term natural. So the brands need to find some alternative term to help communicate the effort that's gone into sourcing their ingredients. And it becomes this like cycle of then that term catches on. So then other companies who aren't putting as much effort into sourcing their ingredients use that term because it's not regulated. And then that term gets the same kind of skepticism. So then we have to use another term and we just end up in this like, vicious cycle of what is the word what is the word that means that that I can look for on the label that means I can use this and that I think is is one of the most frustrating things for 
people in our community is that there isn't one. There isn't a term that means this is safe ingredients that have science to back up their impact on uh, skin health that are going to, when they're absorbed into your skin, still be safe for you and, you know, are not going to have any kind of toxins or carcinogens or, you know, uh, you know, hormone disruptors or whatever it is that are, that's in this, you know, ingredient that is going to be a problematic. And we don't, we just don't have, there's not one label that we can be like, aha, it has the green star of, you know, whatever the word that we don't have. (laughs) Totally. Well, that's why there, one of the bills that's in the house under review right now, I think is really powerful in defining, um, what those terms are so that people can't just use them willy nilly and kind of like way back in the day, people would say gluten free when they weren't actually testing just because it didn't have a gluten containing ingredient didn't mean that it was gluten free if for example, it was oats and cross contaminated or whatever, right. So we got to a point where there were there were legalization and regulation around what that term meant. And we need that with Um, personal care as well. If you want to support that, you can text Better Beauty to 52886 and ask your legislators to support that law the more that they hear from people, even if you've done it before. I have a reminder on my calendar to do it once a month. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a little extreme, but you can do it as often um, as you want to remind your, your legislators, yep, I still would like you to please advocate for human health. So, all right, moving on. What is a good skincare routine and why do I need to do it? Um, Basic, most common question. So I think of skincare in three steps. You need to wash, then you need to tone, and then you need to moisturize. I know, Sarah. I have question. so many questions. questions already. So let me walk through what these basic steps are. Then you can follow up with questions. So first of all, with washing, what you're really doing is removing the dirt and the grime that you're accumulating throughout the day. If you think about the pollution that's in the air or what you touch with your hands that then you touch your face, um, different kinds of things like that, that is what will clog your pores and enlarge them or cause acne or... Um, it can even cause premature aging if you've got like oxidation on your skin from pollution, right? So we want to, at the end of every day, wash our skin. I will, everybody will tell you that they want you to wash your face in the evenings and the mornings, but I'm going to be gentle on you and say that at the very least in the evenings, you need to wash your skin. And if you're going to choose one time to do it, the evenings is better. I think most people actually do it in the mornings instead of in the evenings. And um, I personally don't want all that grime sitting on my skin, rubbing into my pillow and that kind of stuff throughout the day. So, um, One of the keys with washing is to use a wash that's right for you. So you can use an oil cleanser, you can use a foaming cleanser, you can use an exfoliating wash. It really depends on what kind of skin you have. Um, But my top tip for the people that listen to this podcast is we have a lot of people with autoimmune conditions and skin conditions. um, And I'm just going to refer to that group of skin conditions as skin conditions today. So for example, eczema, rosacea. I forget the name of the one that you have that I can't pronounce. Like psoriasis, lichen planus. I have both. If you have anything <laughs> like that, one of the top tips is to not use hot water. It's a basic 
basic thing. Um, and that is because it's it's aggravating your skin and it's going to dry it out more. So I talked to a lot of people who have specifically rosacea, who have a really difficult time managing it. And the very last thing that ends up being like the magic button for them is switching to lukewarm water in the shower and their face wash. So um, making sure that it's not just about the products that you're using, but about like how you're treating your skin, um, like when you're washing it and with what temperature and that kind of stuff. Uh, so fun fact two fun facts. First, my very first question for you was, do I really need to wash my face in the morning, which you have answered in the negative, which makes me very happy because I'm lazy. Uh, But second of all, super fun fact, it's actually really good for your hair too, to avoid that hot water. Um, I uh, grew up in Canada. We have this thing called the Great Canadian Shower, uh, which basically involves standing under hot water until there is none left in the hot water tank. Um, but that is uh, delightful, yet not all that good for skin or hair health. Yeah, Matt likes to say that he doesn't feel clean until the top layer of his skin is burned off. <laughs> <laughs> that is not um, for me. I have very sensitive skin. Finn has eczema. The two of us were like lukewarm water showerers. So um, if you have a skin condition, that might be something to think about for sure. And for example, if you have dandruff, like you said, on your hair, you're, it's the same thing there. That's a skin condition. Even though you think of it as like a hair thing, dandruff is actually your scalp, your skin. So. But it, it's the, it's sort of the same thing too, is that the hot water will wash a lot of them, like the moisture and the lanolin out of your hair itself and it'll dry out your hair, make your hair more brittle. Yeah. So it's, it's a sort of a similar thing of, you know, we're, we're sort of optimized for apparently no longer 98.6 degrees. I think we all saw the news (laughs) the last week. Apparently it's 97.9 now, but Um, you know, we're optimized for body temperature. And once we get much hotter than fever, which a lot of hot showers are, right? It's hotter than fever. Think about what a fever is doing internally and you're applying that externally. Like it's, it, once you start thinking about how many different proteins can start unraveling, right? Like um, fat soluble molecules can start dissolving. Like it, it really does impact the chemistry to add that level of heat externally and, um, and then you go, oh, well, if, yeah, then, then suddenly it's like, okay, yep, maybe, maybe skin and hair doesn't like that, even if psychologically hot showers are the best thing ever. Uh, psychologically for me, they are not, they feel like my skin is being burned off. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of to each their own, um, toner. So here's yeah. the thing. Hey, I hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What? I toner does not do anything. That's probably because A, you're not using the right toner and B, you don't have oily to normal to hormonal skin. You probably, as a aging gracefully woman, are at a point in your life where your skin is drier. We talked about this in the menopause show, like what your skin starts to do as you age and your hormones change is very different. Um so let me I'm, talk. I'm ready to grab my cane and start waving it at the and teenagers across the street. I thought you said we we're going to hit me with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so toner looks different for different people. Um, Sarah, I think you would like something called a mineral essence, which is like basically a nutrient dense skin food for you versus a toner. They both serve the same pers- purpose, which is the 
with a toner, you want it to basically seal your pores and um, create a good balance of pH on your skin after you wash it. So you talked about how when you are washing your hair too often, you are washing away the natural oils and bacteria that are actually helpful for maintaining healthy skin barrier and um, just healthy skin in general. The same thing happens on your face when you're washing too often or with hot water and that kind of stuff. And so if you're using a toner after you wash, you're restoring that balance to your skin and kind of priming it or prepping it for the next step that you're giving it. If you jump straight into wash to moisturize, your pores aren't optimized to absorb and properly utilize the nutrients and the hydration that you're putting straight onto it. So toning really depends on the type of skin you have as to the best one for you. As someone with aging, acne-prone, oily skin, toning is my favorite step. I actually have four different toners that I use in different ways at different times of year. Um, And that's because I see the greatest benefit from it, from all of those things that I just mentioned. Like I have pretty complicated, sensitive skin. Um, Whereas most women who are let's say over the age of 35, you're seeing less and less breakouts and your skin's starting to get more dry. I'm just barely. Yeah. (laughs) Just barely over that. I know I was, I was gentle. (laughs) Um, But if you think about your daughters or in my case with Cole, the number one thing that I ask him to do is he has these um, like clarifying pads. They're kind of like safer, Stridex wipes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And those are the, I have him put them by his nightstand. And before he goes to bed at night, like his number one, his, the only skincare thing he does is just use that toner pad. And it makes the biggest difference in his skin. I can tell when he skipped it because his um, face will start to break out. Just that one step makes a big difference in like that hormonal, younger, oily type skin. If you think about your skin, like your skin still has a need for a toner, but that need is different. Now it needs to replenish the moisture and the um, beneficial things that your younger hormones used to have. So that's why I was saying like a mineral essence. Yeah. It's, it's funny you said that because I actually have a mineral spray that I I use in place of toner, but I've never thought of it as toner. There you go. Look, uh, I know what I'm talking about. And you like that, right? That makes you feel good, your skin? Yeah. Yeah. So it really, it just depends. But I, I know that this is like the step, this, the step that people skip. And if there's one thing I want you to do today, it's to stop using hot water and to use toner can and I, can wash I your face before bed. Then? So there's, because, I, there's three things. I said there's one thing, but there's yeah, three things. There's, there's, <laughs> uh, but can I ask a toner question? Of course. Um, because there's sort of different styles of dispenser for toner. So there's like the spray one that you could just sort of like mist on your face or you could mist onto a pad and wipe. Or there's ones that are like you pour it out of a bottle and that you're really stuck with like a cotton pad at that point. Um, or I suppose you could use or like a reusable cloth. Uh, does it matter how you are applying toner, like a mist over your face versus a pad wiping thingy? I would definitely follow the instructions on whatever toner you're using because One of the toners that I love is a rose mist, and it is intended to just be mist, 
misted right on to the face. Um, if I were to put it on a cotton ball and then wipe it onto my face, I'd be wasting product, um, mm-hmm. which you just don't need to do. But some will say that they want you to put it on a cotton pad or um, a reusable. You can actually, for those people who are interested, um, they make like reusable organic cotton pads, which are great as well. Um, and that's because they want the benefit of you actually wiping it on your skin. So then you're getting the additional benefit of the toner, but then you're also kind of um, double cleansing because you're wiping off any residual um, wash or dirt that might be left over after you wash your face. Um, or if it has like a little bit of an exfoliating quality, which is the wash that I use, then um, the toner that I'm, I use a wipe toner after I wash because it's kind of like removing that any um, sloughed off skin cells that might have um, come off in an exfoliation, if that makes sense. So it, yeah. and then after I use a a wipe one for that purpose, then I use a mineral essence because I'm also aging. So because I have oily acne prone skin, I have this one thing that I do. <laughs> and then because I'm also over the age of 35, I'm also putting that like nourishing skin food on my skin. And that I don't even use a cotton pad for I could. But again, I just feel like then I'm wasting product. So I just shake it out into my hand and pat it onto my face. And I feel like I save more product that way without needing to use a cotton pad. The one thing I would say is if you're going to use your hands when you're doing anything with your skin or makeup, like if you're not using brushes for your makeup, just make sure your hands are clean. Like just don't, you know, do your hair first, for example, and then you have all this hair product in your on your hands. And then you do your skincare routine, you just put all that hair product on your face, and you probably don't want that. Or (laughs) if you went to the bathroom and didn't wash your hands, like those are the kinds of things, you know, you don't want to do. So just make sure your hands are clean. Did I answer all your questions? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, yes. Great. Let's move on. So the last step in the triad of skincare is moisturizing. I think this is the thing that people understand most, right? Hydration um, is what is going to keep your skin from aging the most. And it's also where you can find a lot of active ingredients in moisturizers that we've talked about before that can have anti-aging benefits or that can lighten or brighten the skin or that can help heal it. Or in my case, I use a... A moisturizer that has a mineral-based SPF to prevent sun damage. Like there's a lot of things that you can find in a moisturizer depending on what you're looking for. But really the goal of the moisturizer is to hydrate the skin. So you've washed it, you've sealed the pores, and now you're putting on this topical treatment that will um, hopefully hydrate the skin. Um I'm going to talk about treatments separately because I feel like when I put them in a skincare routine, people get confused. So there are basically three steps and I really genuinely feel like everybody can do three steps, um, especially if you're just doing like that as your nighttime routine. That's the best time to do a skincare routine because then it's like sitting on your skin um, while you're sleeping and really being absorbed in. And then in the morning, you can do maybe an abbreviated version where you where you just tone and moisturize is what I do. Oftentimes I skip that extra um, washed up. Um, but um, I, I would challenge people to think about a moisturizer that is good for their skin. I talk to a lot of people who are using a moisturizer who don't feel like they love their skin. Like they're like, well, I mean, 
you know, I don't have a problem with my moisturizer, but I wish my skin were X. Um, then maybe reconsider if that's the right one for you. You might even be just using the wrong line in a brand. It's not even like that the brand is necessarily wrong. It's just that there are so many nuances to skin, just like there are so many nuances to the human DNA and how we eat and how we live our life and the different activities that we do and how much water we consume and how often we're outside. And all of these things play into the right skincare for us. So if you do want to try to figure out what is right for you, as I have given before, and I will give one more time, you are welcome to email me. Um, at Stacy at realeverything.com and I do skincare consults for free. Um, I just ask that you be kind and patient <laughs> when you email me. But um, I'm I'm happy to help because I do feel like that's the thing that people really struggle with is finding the the right one for them. And it's not the same. Like the ones that I needed and used when I was younger are completely different than what I need now. Yeah. Okay, no questions on that. I'm going to talk about treatments. No, that makes that makes sense to me because I also like I'm a person who I I have different moisturizers that I rotate through based on the time of year because my skin my like when it's cold outside my skin is very very different. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense that like you would change up your moisturizer if you're you know not getting what you need out of it, especially because you think of the moisture step as the opportunity to add nutrients important for skin health because skin really is a tissue that requires nutrients both internally and externally. So it makes sense to me that like, yeah, if your, if your moisturizer is not delivering, if your, if your skin's deficient in something, uh, your moisturizer is an opportunity to add it. Like also your diet is an opportunity to add it. You know, like there's, there's other ways that you can deliver that thing, but if you, your skin needs something and your moisturizer's not delivering it, swapping, swapping to a moisturizer that would deliver whatever that, you know, important nutrient is, or maybe it's like more antioxidants or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that makes complete sense to me as opposed to toner, which (laughs) I, I now feel like I have a surface understanding and maybe a beginning of an appreciation for, but I got to really like wrap around, oh, the mineral spray is toner. That's that's the whole thing I'm going to try to internalize. Yes. And and I wouldn't say that a mineral spray is a toner for a teenager because their skin needs different things, right? So mm-hmm. again, very variation on what someone needs and where they are in their life. So got it. Um, what you kind of alluded to as nourishment for the skin, I think is really important as we think about the add-on step or the mm-hmm. treatment step. So this is where if your skin needs something, so if you have acne, if you have rosacea, if you have signs of aging, and you would like to treat that thing, then you are looking for a treatment for your skin. I personally add, for example, a brightening face oil, face, face oil, facial oil. Um, I put like two drops of that in with my moisturizer in the evening. And that is technically a treatment, but I am lazy. And so I add it and mix it and put it on as my moisturization step. Um, but that what that's doing is 
we've talked about vitamin C on the menopause show. Um, it's also vitamin C, as I'll mention later, is um, a nutrient for the skin that helps synthesize collagen. It brightens and lightens the skin. So if you have like dark spots or aging. So for me, I'm like, yes, please. I want all of those things. Yep. Um, and so I use a vitamin C serum and I put a couple drops in my moisturizer. That's a treatment. Um, other treatments, we talked about the overnight resurfacing peel as a treatment. Again, that's botanical acids. Um, I use a charcoal mask, which is like a detoxifier pulling oil out of the pores. Um, I use that once a week. That is a treatment. Um, I also really love Primally Pure has new masks and their plump, plumping mask um, has, ama- I think, I don't know if you've tried it, Sarah, but um, it uses um, honey. So it has the bacterial benefits of uh, raw honey. Yeah. Um, and then it and has... Honey is also a natural exfoliant. Yes. And it has... Um, bok chul. I always have like a really hard time saying that word, which is um, proven. I shared a um, pub med article about how that had been used as a safer alternative to retinol. Um, It's like a plant-based version of that. It has um, all kinds of really good healing things in that plumping mask. So um, there are a lot of different treatments that you can use. They look differently. Like I said, face oils, um, eye cream would be considered a treatment, even though it's also moisturizer, because you're adding that as like an additional step to address, for example, fine lines and wrinkles around your eyes. I don't know um, what you're talking about. <laughs> no. And also like I use the um, like a spot treatment for zits. That's a treatment, right? So anything that's kind of like an additional thing, that is great and helpful for your skin, but that is not a skin routine. You cannot just do a treatment and think that your skin is going to respond in whole to that, which I think a lot of people are confused about. Oh, well, if I just do like this one thing that's targeted to my problem, that will solve my problems. Only if your skin is happy and in balance from the other three steps will that really create harmony for most people. I mean, maybe you're a lucky duck and (laughs) you have great skin and I'm a little bit jealous because it takes a lot of work for me. But um, I hope that that explains how those all work together. Are we good to move on? Yes, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, okay. I'm on. I, I, I feel like if I've got it, other people can 99.976% of our listeners are with me. Perfect. I hope. Do you want I to hope. read the next one? Um, I'm going to read this as a potential listener and not as myself. Um, because <laughs> I wasn't really making a judgment on does you. does not apply to me. Um, so listener question, Stacy. I have dark circles under my eyes. What's the best treatment for me? Sarah, have you considered more sleep? <laughs> I have uh, a fun tangent. Uh, my husband had this just this crazy January where he just had, it's just his work was insane. And he, like his last deadline is actually Thursday when this podcast goes live. And um, so this whole like six, seven, eight weeks has been and saying he's had to work a couple hours every evening. So I've just started like putting the kids to bed and then getting ready for bed and going to bed at like 830. Um, to the point where I seem now incapable of staying awake past about quarter after nine. And I can tell you it's my favorite thing ever. Like actually, because what's happening is now Saturday morning, I'm up at six because I'm actually getting enough sleep all week. And I know that this is the thing that I have written a whole ebook and online sleep program to try to 
emphasize for people, but sometimes uh, when we, even when we know all of the right things, it's still hard to implement. And so I suddenly got forced into this implementation out of like sheer evening boredom. And it's amazing. My husband was like, oh, when I'm done to the deadline, what show are we going to start watching in the evening? I'm like, oh, we're, we're not. I'm, I'm sticking with my 830 bedtime. It's my favorite thing. It's totally my favorite thing. Are, are you, do you have less dark circles under your eyes? Is that where you were going with that uh, tangent? I don't know that. So yeah, I, I don't, I've, I've never, never seen been you. a person who actually really gets dark circles under my eyes. Um, thank, thank, I mean, I, got yeah, I was going to, I was like, what, wins. what concealer are you using? Cause I've never noticed it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to just going to say like, look, I've got a lot of genes that are not doing me any favors, but whatever eye circle gene I don't have, I am happy about it. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to just put that one in the pro column. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, we're kind of joking, but honestly, dark circles are obviously an indication of lack of sleep. They're also an indication of dehydration, and they're also an indication of an abundance of sugar. So that could be coming from alcohol, that could even be coming from fructose and fruit, um, or refined carbohydrates. Oftentimes, dark circles under the eyes in particular um, are much more lifestyle than um a topical treatment can solve. Of course, I can recommend eye creams and even eye masks um, that might help, but that is not going to be a solution. Like you're not going to be able to continue um, to eat the sugars and not drink enough water and not get enough sleep and just put on eye cream and have it resolve itself. Like that's never going to work. Hey, does the like stereotypical, I'm doing my mask and I've got cucumber slices over my eyes. Does cucumber actually do anything? I think it must just be like water and maybe there's a couple of nutrients in cucumber. What's interesting to me is when people are doing that, they're putting it on the eyelid and mm -hmm. most people don't have a problem with their eyelid. Like certainly cucumber isn't going to prevent your um, hoods from drooping, for example, like if you had an aging problem, right? Like it's more of like a cooling factor for under the eyes is what people um, are kind of trying to get a benefit from. So when you see people in shows and TVs and they do it and it's on top of the eyes and the cucumber isn't big enough to go under the eye, I'm like, oh, that's just for show. Like That's not doing okay. anybody any good. <laughs> I, I was, I suspected as much. Um, but I, I've never, it's just one of those things I've never, I have, up. I have like a collagen eye mask that I love that I put in the fridge before I use. And it looks like a little like Nike swoosh, um, that goes under the eyes. And those feel really good. Basically anything in the fridge, um, that you then put under your eyes, the cooling it's, factor helps depuff and all that kind of stuff. It's the opposite of the hot water. It is. It is. Okay. So here's an interesting one. Um, People ask often about saturated fats in the skin. And let me just say, you can go back and listen to this podcast and there are probably at least 50 instances of me saying that coconut is a cure-all. Coconut oil in particular is a cure-all. And I'm still a big that fan. That may be a gross underestimate. Right. <laughs> and I'm still a big fan of coconut oil on elbows and heels and even cuticles. But there's, first of all, nothing, there's no active ingredients in coconut oil that are like actually 
nourishing anything, for example, on your face. And in my personal experience, what I ended up realizing was that it was occlusive and it was creating a lot of clogged pores and breakouts on my skin. So while I thought, oh, I love coconut oil, I love the way that it removes my makeup and I love the way that my skin feels after, it was building up and creating a lot of acne on my skin. Um, So another saturated fat to consider is tallow um, because it is more nourishing and a lot of the vitamins um, that you would be looking for as skin food like A, D, E, and K. Um, But I'm going to stand on the fact that fats alone cannot truly be a moisturizer. So as we talked about with moisturizers, we're trying to do something with the skin, we're trying to nourish it. And so if all you're using is just a pure fat and not like a tallow-based moisturizer, which would be something entirely different, um, it's not going to truly be a standalone moisturizer for you. And it's also going to probably not feel great to like put makeup on over top of (laughs) unless you're like wiping it off. Um, So as I talked about, I add... um, oils to my moisturizer because I do think that it has incredible benefits, but I have to be careful about the type I use. I cannot use um, any saturated fats on my skin. They just don't respond very well. Um, But someone with drier skin would probably really like the way that um, it felt. I'm raising my hand, like sheepishly, um, teacher, because I, I want to sort of give a shout out uh, to Buffalo Gal. She's actually local to me and I've been out to her farm, which is amazing, but she has, um, it's grass fed Buffalo tallow based skincare. And she, she's done a ton of research. Um, they're, they're all very sophisticated formulas, but uh, again, I think we established in the toner conversation that clearly my um, just barely over 35 age skin um, <laughs> Uh, is potentially maybe on the dry side why I like my mineral spray and think that uh, my toner is completely useless. Um, obviously, we're I'm learning. I'm learning. It's it's good. It's a, it's a personal growth happening right now. Uh, but uh, this time of year, when the weather, I mean, here in Atlanta, the weather is just all over the place. We had it was over eighty yesterday, and then tomorrow it's going to be like. 42 or something like that. Right. So we've just got this, like we go from like really cold and dry to warm and rainy is sort of our cycle. And my skin does not like that at all. And the thing that has been saving it is tallow, um, a tallow, uh, tallow based cleanser. Um, and it's just been so nourishing for my skin. My skin's just like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I love that you talked about the one that you use being grass fed because that's my like just consider that you're using if you choose to use any sort of animal based product, um, you don't know what the health of that animal was and Mm -hmm. what goes into their fat is often where toxins are stored. Um, So using a tallow balm from a reputable place who has... um, I mean, you can't know unless you go to the farm, obviously, but that you feel like you can trust from um, the health of the animal is super important. Like you're going to want them to be in sunlight and eating the right foods and all of that kind of stuff for um, to get the benefit of those nutrients that I was talking about in their fat. Because if they're not in the sun and not eating good food, they're not going to have the same kind of nutrients. So just 
be careful and mindful of that. And also like if they're being given some sort of hormones that's going and storing into their fat Mm -hmm. as well. So um, you're obviously not going to get that variation with a plant-based oil. Um, Coconut is the only that's fat. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But um, the risk of that is oxidation. So you have less risk of oxidation with animal fat. You have higher risk of oxidation with um, plant or fish, really. Any sort of like PUFA-like oil, I'll just say, you're going to have a higher risk of oxidation, which means it's potentially shown to cause aging to the skin. So you don't, you don't want to be putting a moisturizer on your skin that's actually causing more harm than good. So um, I did actually find a study that talked about the variation of different, um, particularly plant oils and how they affect their skin. And what was really interesting, I think cool. in your fu- in your fun free time, you will actually enjoy the study because they ended up saying it really depended on, they tried to at first group them all together, like plant oils this but obviously we know it's a lot more nuanced than that in terms of like how cotton seed would be different from avocado would be different than oat oil for example like they're all going to be different <laughs> and how they were processed also played a difference in um, how they promoted skin yeah. barrier um, and antioxidant reactions. That makes so, sense to me. A hundred percent. But I was like, well, here's a study that shows what I think we can all probably logically determine. Um, so I, I did link to that in the show notes for you if you're more interested in checking that out, listeners. Okay, so I think we're going to jump into the part of the show that you're going to feel a lot more comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> how much does diet... Um, play a role in your skin health. So in particular, like, can I just use a skin product instead of, you know, focusing on my diet? This is so common in teenagers. Like, so I'm going (laughs) to assume for the benefit of our listeners, like, it's not you, you get what to do, but it's your teen that you know that if they chose better choices, then their skin would not be blowing up. But like, what can you do about it? Right. Um, So Sarah, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about like microbiome and gut health as being key to the skin barrier. Um, Yes, of course, we can talk about some other things that you can help your teen to do. Like I said, I'm going to assume it's not you, Um, but you cannot replace, you can't just put something topical on and think that from the inside out is not going to also show. Um, sweet. I love talking about the gut microbiome because that's where I spend most of my life these days. I uh, know. So I was like writing, writing get, a book about it. Giving you a bullet. Any of our listeners didn't realize I was writing a gut microbiome book. They're like, why are you spending all of your time in your gut microbiome? That sounds gross. Um, no, it's actually fascinatingly enough. I am um, not writing this book in order. I'm definitely jumping around. And the chapter that I'm working on this week is um, the chapter about the metabolome, which is actually how our our gut bacteria and other types of microbes, right? We have bacteria and fungi and archaea and even viruses that live in there. Um, It's how they're actually impacting literally the health of every single cell. It's through their metabolic byproducts. So it's actually like bacteria poop that is absorbed into our bodies that are, they literally make um, upwards of six, six and a half thousand different bioactive molecules, at least two thirds of which can be absorbed into our body. Um, And there've been a ton of different receptors that have been identified where these molecules are binding. And then 
when, you know, when a receptor uh, binds <laughs> with um, its ligand, that typically causes intracellular signaling cascades. And of all of these different, like thousands of metabolites, there's only about 50 that are really well understood in terms of their effects. Um, but even within those 50, we can now draw a direct line between uh, the composition of the gut microbiome and what we're eating um, is impacting the metabolites they're forming. And then these metabolites are basically controlling every system in the human body. So we can now draw a direct line between microbiome composition and their metabolites, so their their biological activities and every chronic illness. And there's basically now been, you know, we've probably heard about like the gut brain axis before. There's also a gut skin axis. There's also a gut liver axis and a gut lung and a gut heart and a gut hormone axis. There's even a gut gut axis, which is uh, honestly the best one. But um, it's through the production of uh, these different molecules. And when it comes to skin health, one of the most important um, metabolic byproducts that our gut bacteria produce um, are short-chain fatty acids. So these are um, like six carbon or less little tiny fatty acids. They are passively, passively absorbed and they actually just insert directly into the Krebs cycle. So they're actually used as fuel for cells. And it's the dominant fuel for our gut cells. That That is one of the most important things that we can have for a healthy gut barrier is bacteria that are producing short-chain fatty acids, especially butyrate. Um, but that's also um, getting into our circulation, into our blood, and then delivering these short-chain fatty acids to every single cell in our body. It can be passively absorbed into every single cell and used as energy. And it is basically a direct um, contributor to cellular health. And so it's um, one of the the things that is linking, you know, it's sort of hard to think that what is happening in your digestive tract um, in terms of, you know, bacteria metabolic activity could be directly impacting your skin health, but it's through these bioactive molecules. There's other ones, right? So our Gut bacteria are controlling the immune system. They're producing neurotransmitters. Um, they're actually controlling a lot of um, genetic expression related to metabolism. So they're they're really feeding into every system in the human body through their metabolic byproducts. And it's of uh, the the gut skin axis is one of the sort of best understood in terms of how our gut bacteria are directly impacting skin health. And it's sort of, again, through the metabolome. And it's thought that these short-chain fatty acids are particularly important for our skin cells being healthy, and in part because they are um, exposed to more oxidants than many other tissues because they live on the barrier of inside the body and versus outside the body. So they're directly exposed to oxygen. Um, so a lot of the antioxidants that the, our gut bacteria are producing as well also become very important there. Um, so yeah, gut microbiome and skin, super important. And the best thing we can do to support a healthy gut microbiome is eat a huge range of fresh fruits and vegetables, as many different kinds as we can, and a lot of them, um, and eat seafood and have a nutrient dense diet. Like those, those You're jumping are the into the takeaways. next questions. We're not there yet. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I just, <laughs> yeah, just 
the it's Canadian. Good. It, those are good. Those are good things for anyone. Yes. I love that your Canadianism came out. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, yes. I thank you for diving into that said way better than I could have. Usually I'm just like, no, but seriously, like your, your gut access is directly linked to your skin. So it's important, period. Um, <laughs> so you dove deep into that. Um in general, we have done, I think, approximately a bajillion shows on eating nutrient-dense anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems about right. Like, so, but I will say the foods that seem to be the biggest trigger for skin, like let's say you wanted to talk to your teen about moderating a, a couple of certain things, um, dairy, especially low-quality, high-volume dairy, sugar, and um, oxidized oils. So if they're eating especially like a lot of vegetable oil fried foods, um, those are going to be the things that are going to show up um, quickly on their skin. I would love to say that I could add gluten to that as well, because I would love for everybody to be gluten free. Um, And I do think for a lot of skin conditions like eczema and rosacea, like that's key as well. But I think Mm -hmm. when it comes to my teen is just really having a hard time and not willing to give up a lot of foods. Like if you're looking for specific skin problematic foods, um, those are the ones that I would say, okay, why don't you ask your teen to like, reduce or remove those for just even one week. And I think that they'll see a difference, especially if they add in some of the nutrients that we're going to talk about. Um, Some of the other things that they can do to help their skin is to add collagen to their, Mm -hmm. um, let's say, morning coffee. Um, They can take probiotics, which will help their gut. Um, They can drink more water. Like I said, they can eat less sugar um they can do red light therapy with juve and um we're going to talk about nutrient density but not just that but also are they absorbing it so do they have a um potential food um allergy or intolerance that's preventing them from digesting what they're consuming. So for example, for me, I have MTHFR. How I absorb B12 um, is not the same as everybody else. I also have celiac. So if I was eating gluten, um, I can't properly absorb the other nutrients that I'm eating because my body is going to react differently to that, right? So not just the context of nutrient density, but also like is your body absorbing it? We see this a lot with people who are anemic, for example. They aren't absorbing the iron that they're eating because they're having a reaction to something else in their life. Um, And one of the things that you can do around that is obviously an elimination diet. That's going to be super hard with a teen. Um, But doing something like AIP or GAPS or SED or, you know, strict paleo for 30 days, um, those can be a way to find the foods that are causing the elimination. Like, I mean, the inflammation, pull it back to base level, um, get the things cleared up as you can, or for you, if you have a skin condition like eczema or rosacea or something like that, and then add in one at a time, like on the show that we talked about last week, Um, you know, as we move into that sort of phase once your skin is cleared up. So, all right. You started to answer this next question already, but I think it kind of goes hand in hand. What are the nutrients then? If we're going to focus not just on what to mm-hmm. take away or doing less of, like what can we add more of? Um, my joke was all of them. You need all of the nutrients. <laughs> I mean, but it's it's true. I think um, 
and I, I would I would even go so far. I think uh, our listeners have probably heard heard me do this rant before, but we have these nutrients that are labeled as essential and these nutrients that are labeled as non-essential, and it it gives this like sort of it insinuates that it doesn't matter if we eat non-essential nutrients, but things that are labeled as non-essential, it basically means you just you won't die if you don't have them. It's 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 really based on like dead or versus not dead. It's not based on healthy versus not healthy. So we've got this huge range of nutrients that are labeled as non-essential, like fiber is a non-essential nutrient. Um, like all but two different fatty acids are considered non-essential. Um, there's only two essential fatty acids. Um, all of the phytochemicals, all of the polyphenols are considered non-essential. But what we know is with those nutrients, the more you consume, the lower your risk of every chronic illness, right? Like you, you, we really need those non-essential nutrients in order to be healthy. And I really would like to find a different term. Like we really need to be valuing non-essential nutrients at the same level as essential nutrients. Um, the only trick with the non-essential ones is it's harder to establish a, a recommended daily allowance or a daily value because there's no like minimum level below which you die, which is, <laughs> or have a deficiency syndrome like scurvy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think I, as, as tongue in cheek as it is to say, which nutrients do we need all of them as, as, as much as that's a little bit sarcastic, I, I really, I really think it's important to have the nutrient content of food be the, the dominant criteria in terms of determining whether or not that's a good food and valuing all nutrients is is great. Even, even if we know, right, there's certain nutrients that if you're deficient in, it's going to cause more problems for your skin. Um, but still all nutrients. Good. I, I second that Stacy. Excellent. I thought you might, um, I will distill it down to <laughs> a few things, although it is all of them. Um, you mentioned a lot of variation in vegetables, and that's going to help your microbiome. It's also going to give you the nutrients you need. You mentioned seafood. That's also going to give you a lot of the um, skin food um, vitamins and minerals that I'm going to mention in a minute. But also adding in omega-3 fatty acids will help reduce the inflammation from mm -hmm. the higher omega-6s in your body, like those um, vegetable oils that I just talked about, which can help with things like um, uh, skin flares and acne. Both of those are caused from inflammation. Like everything is inflammation in the body. So yeah. the more that we can do to reduce that. So other things would be sleep, hydration, and sunlight are all going to help with those as well. Um, sunlight helps your body process um, and synthesize vitamin D. So one of the things that we talked about on the menopause show was um, you found a study that showed nutrient deficiencies increasing the symptoms, specifically um, 
dry and aging skin. Mm -hmm. So those would be vitamins E, C, B12, and 6, D, and A. So if if you're experiencing those things, for example, those are the nutrients that you want to focus on. If you have other skin conditions or you just want skin health in general, um, the shorter list is E, B6, A, zinc. And then the one that you mentioned that's big for everybody, and I will emphasize this, I actually started taking a vitamin C supplement um, probably a few months ago, and I genuinely see a difference in my skin health, especially around uh, my ovulation and my um, menstruation times when I used to be more acne prone. Um, If I'm properly getting the right amount of vitamin C that is less prone for me. So I would definitely, and vitamin C is really easy to get in food as well. Um, I mean, I try to eat an orange, but because I'm AIP, um, no, I'm not AIP. I'm nightshade free. <laughs> really? I'm nightshade free. I'm modified AIP. But um, peppers are, um, bell peppers are one of the easiest ways to get um, the highest doses of vitamin C, but that's not something I can have. And so um, I find it easier just to, to take the supplement and know that I'm getting it. Um, your body will flush excess vitamin C and you will see it in your urine. So pull back if you start to see that. Or if it causes, it, um, for some people, they'll, it'll cause too high vitamin C, will cause diarrhea. Interesting. Um, but pull back slowly because um, there is something called reactive scurvy. So if you're taking pretty high doses. Which like I'm not recommending. Grams, Neither one of us are medical professionals. By um, but there, but there, yeah, if you're taking above a couple of grams, obviously your healthcare professionals that are supervising you know about it. Um, and then like suddenly stop, even though you're not technically deficient in vitamin C, it can still cause like scurvy like symptoms just because your body has adapted to higher levels in supplements. Um, also when we're stressed, we really burn through vitamin C. And so chronic stress increases our need above and beyond the, um, RDA. So, um, it's, to me, it's not surprising that vitamin, I'm also a person who takes, I take very high doses of vitamin C, uh, recommended by my functional medicine specialist. Um, but, um, that is one of the things that I've had to do in response to, uh, my very schizophrenic adrenal glands. Um, so that, that doesn't surprise me at all that that would be something that you would see noticeable uh, changes by supplementing um, because Stacy, I don't know if you knew this, but um, you're kind of type A. What? Just a little bit, right? What? Um, awesome. And I, actually, there's one other thing I wanted to highlight here before you move on. Um, and that is that uh, vitamin A, vitamin D and zinc are ubiquitously important for all barrier tissues. So um, skin barrier, lung barrier, sinus barrier, gut barrier, um, there, that, that particular structure of cells and the cell types that make up all barriers really rely on those nutrients and, um, being deficient in any one of those three is known to basically cause like leaky barrier, leaky gut, leaky skin, leaky lung, they're all, they're all things and they all manifest as different types of, of illness. Um, but those, those three nutrients are especially important. And, 
Uh, 73% of Americans don't get enough zinc. 56% of Americans don't get enough vitamin A. And approximately 75% of Americans are vitamin D deficient or insufficient, rather, I should say, like not rickets level deficient, but insufficient. Um, so those are ones I think that are, are especially important to, to pay attention to. It can be really surprising if you t- just take like a, th- a food journal for three days and kind of look at your micronutrients, it, it can be really surprising what we can fall short on, even when we think we're doing an awesome job with nutrient density. And I think it's interesting too, like as you were talking, I was thinking about the moisturizer that I use on my face has both vitamin C and zinc in it. And I think like as we've talked about before on the show, I think it was the chlorine show. um, It's not just topically, you need to be focused on these things internally. Um, And so you can't just hear, okay, I need vitamin C and zinc. I'm going to put it on my skin for my acne. Um, For me, I have seen results obviously focused inside and out. Like you, you need to tackle it both ways as we've hopefully are getting that message through here. Um, Okay. So I think we (laughs) got through most everything. Um, The one other question that I hear most often is where to start to switch. So I think when you're thinking about um, how to prioritize, because either you already have a bunch of stuff or um, you have stuff you love that you don't want to let go of, um, that kind of stuff, um, or it's just a budget concern, often people will say the largest parts of your body are what to get rid of. Like, what do you use on the most square inch per per your body and then um, prioritize switching that. However, as we've talked about, um, your skin can have different barriers, which can actually um, protect you from some of the absorption. Um, I've done a lot of research. Um, there's actually a PubMed study that was shocking to me that talked about absorption rates on inhalation and consumption being way higher, like 120 times higher than something that goes on your skin. And so from that perspective, I actually recommend people focus on products that you would breathe in or would consume. So those would be things like sprays, mists, um, lipstick, lipstick, and also things that you put on your hands. If you're someone who I know I touch my Sucks face. your thumb? Yes. Oh, no, okay. no, no, no. Like, yeah. you know how you touch your face? If mm-hmm. you if you touch your lips or something like that, like, then it's going in as well. So, or, so if, if you're like me and you just generally prefer to eat with your hands, even <laughs> when you're eating yes, something sure. that is completely inappropriate to eat with your hands and makes no sense. And why don't you grab a spoon, but you're still eating with your hands? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Now we're all very curious. It's just TMI <laughs> right there. I just, uh, you know, cavemen didn't have forks. Why should I eat with a fork? That's all I'm saying. It's valid. We have fingers for a reason. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, but I would just encourage you to be mindful that when you are inhaling and consuming, um, the way that your body processes those i.e. toxins that you're consuming, like your liver performs differently, your lungs absorb them differently, all that kind of stuff. So um, I think that there's a lot of questions that remain about toxins. And maybe if you guys have those questions, we can follow up because it's already a long podcast. (laughs) I thought we were just talking about washing faces, but um, there's a lot of research that I've done from that perspective. But in the meantime, as you start to think about switching out your personal care, definitely prioritize those with which would cause the highest rate of toxic absorption, which 
I mentioned. Um, the other thing that I want to say, and I'm a, like a little bit sheepish and uncomfortable in saying this, I don't know why. Um, if you recall, two years ago, I earned a spot to go to Washington, D.C. And I think we had a show called Stacy Goes to Washington. And I talked about how I had the opportunity to represent my state, but also everybody in asking for um, legislatures to put health protective laws forward. And it's that time of year again. And I... I don't know. It's like a weird thing to like ask people to show up. I think it's a vulnerability thing because I'm the type A person. Like I hate asking for help, Um, but it's that time of year. So if you are interested in switching to safer or curious about um, trying a beauty counter product, February would be a fantastic time to do that because it will help me earn one of those coveted two Virginia spots so that I can go and represent and um, report back and fight for us all to have these laws that we so desperately need for so many reasons. Um, And I would also say if you are interested in a skincare routine this week that the show is airing from February 12th to the 25th, um, if you get a skincare, either a regimen or a collection, and I can be happy to help you figure out what that means, you get a free gift with it. Um, So for example, if you were to get that wash tone moisturized treatment routine of four things, um, it would be like an eye cream that would be added, which is like a $69 value. So you can double down and help yourself with safer skincare and help me get to DC, get yourself a free gift if that's something you're curious about. Um, But also I'm happy to, like I said, consult without any pressure or anything if you or a loved one are having issues with your skin. Um, As you can see, I have done a lot of research and spent a lot of time on this with both myself and my team, and I I love helping you all. So um, I appreciate your considering being supportive of me if this is something you're interested in, but I also, I just never want to like force anybody into anything. It just, it feels uncomfortable to ask. So I've put it out there and I'm like sheepishly hiding, even though I can't hide on a podcast. I'm like <laughs> head down, hand in front of my face, like, oh my God, what have I done? Uh- <laughs> uh, I think um, I, I'm the exact same. So like, I, I totally get it. I think it's just one of those things. Like, I don't consider myself an influencer. Even if you like looked at my social media following, you would technically you would technically call it both of us an inf- but I, I see myself as an educator and it's sort of strange to have that piece that crosses into influencer territory when you predominantly think of yourself as an educator. But also, uh, I would just want to emphasize that this is also about achieving a very important goal as an educator for, um, people who are actually in charge of policy. So a hundred percent. And I think, a lot of us have the means to switch to safer. What is really my passion is helping to change the laws and the regulations so that people that don't have the means can walk safely into the dollar store or Walmart and buy something that doesn't contain known carcinogens and hormone disruptors. And it is appalling to me that America is so behind in this, like Canada and the EU are light years ahead of where we are. And we're just not doing what we need to do to protect consumers when it comes to personal care. And I, I really, as you can tell, have a passion for that. And I would love the opportunity to remind legislatures of that again this year. So no matter what, I'm going to push and I, I hope I get there and I um, appreciate anything that our listeners might do. But I also 
totally understand if it's not for you. Um, so remind our listeners how they can contact. Oh, sure. You. I'm sorry. Um, oh, I was Canadian. I said, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> you can email me Stacy at real everything.com. If you would like help figuring out things that are right for you. Um, or you can just shop at beautycounter.com slash Stacy Toth. Just make sure you see my picture or select my name at checkout. And, um, the free gift will automatically go to your card. It'll be like on the website. You don't need to do anything special for that. Well, um, I'm looking forward to a follow-up show because I know there's going to be even more questions than I was able to ask on this episode. Um, so remember you can ask questions on either of our, uh, social media posts about the podcast, or you can submit questions on our websites. And as always, we greatly appreciate, uh, you taking the time to uh, leave us a review or even just share our podcast with a friend who you think would be interested in this information. Um, you know, these are podcasts always increase their audience just by word of mouth. And we appreciate if you like the show, sharing it with someone. So thanks very much. And we'll be back next week. Thanks for tolerating Upside Down World today. I promise <laughs> when we're back next week, Sarah will deliver the science. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.